Let me, uh, I know we just prayed, but we can always talk to God. Let's talk to the Lord as we open up his word and hear from him today. Gracious Lord Jesus, continue to move in this place by your Holy Spirit and open our hearts, illumine our hearts to your word and your truth as we read from your word. For those of us in here who may be struggling with you, O oh God, I pray that you break through those walls of struggle, the walls of doubt, maybe the wall of shame, of guilt, whatever it is that might be standing in the way of hearing you, Lord, break through. And let everyone in this room know without a shadow of a doubt that you love them, that you're speaking to them, and that you're drawing them nearer to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we are uh, still trudging along and uh, trucking along, better, better adjective, through the, uh, uh, the book of Acts. And I said to the, to the traditional service that, um, ashamedly, you know, this confession, I treated the book of Acts probably like the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. I mean, no Leviticus, anyone? You know, and no one really, I mean, you should, it's, uh, you need to, it, to, to who, who goes through the book of Leviticus from start to finish, right? But it's really, it, you should, because there's good stuff. But I feel like Acts kind of gets a bum rap. Sometimes we go to it for references, but it's just this long book of history of what the early church did and, and how many people take the time to really, really study it. I am so thankful that we did this. I am so thankful that we have gone chapter by chapter through Acts because it has opened my eyes to uh, insights that they are not that much different than us. That, that people change, times change, whatever, but some of the same issues that churches go through, the, book of, the early church did it as well. And that uh, that's just part of being in a broken world. But the, the promises of Christ and what he's doing within his church can break through all of that. And we just need to hold on and be a part of it. Be used by the Holy Spirit in these unimaginable ways. And that's what I see in Acts. And I hope you're seeing it too. And today we're going to see a little bit of that also in Acts chapter 18. And before I get in there, how many of you have ever, now if you don't feel like raising your hand, that is fine. How many of you have ever dieted before, have gone on a diet Raise your hand, right? Okay. Yeah, so let's just, just to lay it all out there, I was, I, I was uh, diagnosed with the diabetes uh, back when uh, Caleb was born. Uh, so that was around 2019. My weight was a little out of control. Let's be honest, I was born big and I stayed big. The doctor said it was baby fat and that doctor was a liar. So anyways, so I got diagnosed with that and, 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 and I went on a keto diet and, and lost some weight, was pretty successful with it. And then Karis came, and she's a bundle of joy. And, and then I just kind of fell off the wagon. Not because of Karis, it's just because of me. And normally when I fall off wagons, I tend, oh, diet wagons, I tend to push them off the cliff and watch them burn in effigy and roast marshmallows over it and have just a great old time. But then uh, about, a, about a couple months ago, back in April, I had to go, go get the dreaded test again. And my A1C was just out of control. And so I'm on a, a nutritionist plan and on some medications that are helping me out that are currently out of stock. Thank you, everyone who's taking them when they're not supposed to. But, um, <laughs> but the nutritionist puts me on this plan of, uh, of eating. And so being a professional dieter as I am, I am waiting for the inevitable wall. How many of you, when you diet, you hit the wall? Raise your hand. You hit the wall, right? It's called a plateau. You plateau, and, and what happens is, is the scale doesn't move. You step on the scale, and it just sits there and defies you, not budging, and you're like, why? And, you know, you kind of ease up on it, maybe if you back into it and <laughs> adjust your weight just a little bit, maybe not have the full, you know, that kind of thing. 
but that doesn't bust a plateau. Typically what happens is, is when you hit a plateau, your friends, your nutritionist, whatever, will say to you what? You need to change it up. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, right. She's like, no, no, not that. Stay the course. Don't give up. I'll give that. But also maybe change up some things. Change up the exercises that you're doing. And that means more endurance. That means something new. I don't want to do nothing new. It is a Christmas miracle that I am getting up in the morning and going to the gym. I don't want to change anything. Okay? I'm going on the treadmill. I'm doing my thing. I'm watching seasons of the Wonder Years, and I'm getting off. Okay? Or change up your diet. Switch some things around. Maybe you need to cut out some more of the fats. Absolutely not. I want you to go away from me, Satan. You've taken all my carbohydrates away. I want my fats. I want my dairies and my butters and my cheeses. That's all I can have, right? But you need to change it up. Change it up. Because what happens is, is we get into a routine. And we all like routines. Everyone likes a routine. A routine is nice. There's no surprises. There's no new expectations. There's no challenges. You can just keep on keeping on. Live all the live long day as happily as you want to be. And just go with it. But the problem with the routine, especially in exercise, but in just in life in general, is that routines can quickly become ruts. And a rut is when we become stale and stagnant. And there's no forward progress and there's no growth. We're just kind of in our groove and not really being shaken out of it. We rely on muscle memory rather than faith and trust. And maybe you can see where I'm going with this this morning. Sometimes the Lord shakes us up. Shakes us up. Shakes us out of our ruts and our routines so that we can continue to grow, not become stale and stagnant, and to be used in unthinkable and unimaginable ways for his kingdom. If you would have said to me back in high school, when I was in high school, just kind of new to my faith and, and trudging along in my routine and, and life, that I was going to be a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Columbus, Ohio, I would have been like, you are a fool. That is not going to happen. If you had talked to me while I was in college, that's another story. But anyways, this would not be the thing that was in my paradigm. But he does unthinkable and unimaginable things with us when we respond and we get shook up and we get changed out of our routines and our ruts. Understand this. If everything that I'm going to say today, hold on to this because I need you to hold on to it because I'm going to talk about things changing and switching some things up. But what does not ever change is the upward call and goal that Christ has for us. Let me say that again. What does not ever change is the upward call and goal that Christ has for each and every one of us. Paul writes about it in several of his letters, often when he is in adversity, in jail, or being persecuted. He writes down, he charts down the things of what is this upward call. He says, I press on to try to achieve it. And what are those things? It's citizenship in heaven. That if you believe in Christ, there is a place for you there, and you are a citizen of that kingdom and not the kingdom here on earth. That does not change. That you are co-heirs with his inheritance, that he shares the inheritance of his eternal glory with you. That does not change. That you are saved, that you are chosen, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That does not ever change. Don't ever let the whims of culture, don't ever let the popular opinion shake you from those fundamental truths. They will never change. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. But sometimes the Lord needs to shake us up. Shake up our, our journey, shake up the place, the people, 
shake up the language so that we can achieve those goals and grow and, and continue to dive deeper in our faith, that we also will never make the fatal mistake that we achieve all the things that Paul says by our own power. Because we as humans will do that. We'll be like, ain't we something? Yay. And we get shaken up from that, shake up from that so that we can continue to grow. Paul gets a change up today. He gets a shake up. He gets shook. And that's what we're going to learn, what it means to be changed up, to receive a nudge and a course correction from the Lord to achieve the same goal, but maybe to change up some tactics and methods to bust through a plateau that's happening in our lives. So let's get shook. Let's get rattled. Let's get rolled. Shake, rattle, roll. Okay. And uh, see where he may be nudging us to be changed up. I love the, the Thatcher clan over here laughs at my jokes. <laughs> you all over here need to do better. But that's... <laughs> Let's go into it. Acts chapter 18. Let's see where we're at. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. That's page 1102. So I encourage you, I invite you, please, to bring out the Bibles. If you have them, great. They're behind the pew. You can open to page 1102, check your phone, however you want to do it. Let's follow along. All right, so Paul's on the move again. So we've just, we, we have been through a journey with Paul so far, different cities where things are happening, and then he's ushered out, he's left, he has to flee because the opposition's getting so bad. And now he's going into a new city, Corinth. And Corinth is huge because that's where we get the letter Corinthians, right? First and second Corinthians. It is one of the foremost pivotal books in the New Testament. Everything is pivotal in the New Testament. But Corinthians, a significant ministry happened there. And we're beginning to see the, uh, we're seeing the beginnings of it now here in chapter uh, 18. So he goes into Corinth. And if you remember, Corinth, uh, Corinth is one of those cities, kind of like Antioch. Vegas rules apply and that they have, uh, they're, they're kind of a seafaring um, uh, city of sorts. And a lot, of, a lot of transit stuff that's going on. They also have uh, multi-god worship. Uh, and I was corrected because I said it wrong. I believe their patriarch god is Poseidon. And that the, uh, the goddess Aphrodite is, is worshipped there. I said it was Athena. What do I know? They're not real. So anyway, so um, the Aphro <laughs> Aphrodite is being worshipped there in this city. And why that's a problem is Aphrodite, that's the Vegas rules. A anything kind of goes. And temple worship has a lot of... Um, untoward things, sexual debauchery things that are happening. And that kind of plagues the city uh, all throughout. And here comes Paul into this city. I love how Paul continues to go to these Vegas areas. <laughs> you know, like, good on you, Paul. Uh, but he goes in there and, and, and is sent and does his thing. So as we read here in Acts chapter 18, we're going to see patterns, uh, reoccurring patterns that, that, that are, that are um, um, characteristic of Paul. But then also some changes. There's a change up here. Verse eight, or chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went into Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now this is the emperor. This is the first kind of dispersion of the Jews. Uh, and it's, in some text it says that, that he does this. He disperses the Jews over the hostility and the, and the uh, unrest with Crestus. And we all, as long as I've been in seminary, have, have studied that to know that that is most likely the unrest that is coming from Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ and the Latin words to, to say Christ. I, with the commentary I was looking at this week said something about that it may, we can't for sure say that, and I, whatever, I think it's Jesus, and that's what I'm going to say, and that's what I'm going to preach on. So if there was another guy named Crestus there causing unrest, good on him. But I'm pretty sure that this is why the dispersion uh, happened. 
And so he meets Aquila and Priscilla, who are fellow Jews, but they are believers. They believe in Christ. So he goes to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So they're all building tents. Yay! And he reasoned, it says, and that's a repetition. That's a pattern. He reasoned, this is Paul, in the synagogue every Sabbath. Reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. means he preached and he taught there, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks about Christ. When Silas and Timothy, now they come and join the party, Paul's occupied. And that word occupied means he's holding fast. He's compelled by the word to teach it and preach it. He's occupied by the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. That's a pattern. We know that he does that. And when the Jews oppose, they said to, he, uh, basically he says to them, he shakes his garments out. It says, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Again, a pattern. And when he left there, he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Again, another pattern. Just as we've seen before, that whenever they, they walk away from the Jewish teachings and go into the Gentiles, they tend to find a Gentile who's called a worshiper of God, who's just one away from really getting it. They, they are worshiping the, the Jewish God, Yahweh. They are, they are following those customs. They're not going all the way into, into being under the law, but they're, they're worshiping God. And so Paul finds this guy, and his house was next door to the synagogue. I mean, how bold to be like, I hate you Jews. I'm dusting off my garments, and then I'm just going to go next door. You know, that's like being at a McDonald's and setting up a Burger King right next door. You know, just kind of bold in the whole thing. But get this, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, also believed in the Lord, and together with his whole household. So things are happening here. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. All of this is along the pattern of what we've come to realize. And here, get this. And then the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. If you want to underline this, this is important. Do not be afraid, go on speaking, do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And then he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, patterns. What are we seeing again here from Paul? Well, the first thing is, is we get an insight into his character. So as we open up Acts chapter 18, and he finds Aquila and Priscilla, and they're tent makers, and they start building tents. And to me, that's a bit of a head-scratcher. Paul, you're kind of on a missional journey. You've got lots to do. Why would you take a side hustle and start building tents on the side when you've got all of this stuff? You're in Corinth. You're probably going to start some sort of community here. That takes a lot of work. If you've ever been a part of a church plant, it's serious business. And it takes up a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice in the person and persons that are doing it. So building tents? What is this? And what I've come to realize is that this is a character trait of Paul. Now, Paul will take support from these communities. He will, and thank them for that. But it's very important to Paul that these communities that he goes into to start new communities of faith are not having any impact on, uh, not being impacted by his witness in any way, shape, or form. Meaning, he doesn't want to be seen as a charlatan. 
He doesn't want to be seen as someone who's going to come in and start talking about this new religion, this new God, little G, and they're like, we've got Aphrodite, we've got Poseidon, who do you got? And, you know, he doesn't want that and then be seen as taking support from them and leaving when the going gets tough. And so he's, he's akin to, he, he'll, he'll do this. He'll, he'll build tents and start raising up some of that money himself. And I think, I think it's for the integrity of his witness. Because of what he did with, uh, we see, saw it before, what he did with Timothy. Remember Timothy? When Timothy joined his band of brothers here on this little missional journey, Timothy was both a Jew and a Gentile by birth and was not circumcised. And we just had a whole passage on how that's not important. And then we get to Timothy and Paul's like, well, I'm going to circumcise him. You're like, wait, wait, what? And it was because he didn't want Timothy's witness to be impact with the Jews, that the Jews would write him off as some mixed guy and, and, and won't listen to him. And so he does the things to make sure that the witness continues to go on. If you go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, there's a powerful passage in there where Paul talks about he became weak to be with the weak, he became poor to be with the poor. He did these things so that he could advance the gospel, even though he had the great riches that he had with Christ. And isn't that what Jesus did too? Jesus, who had equality with God, did not seek it and humbled himself onto the cross so that we might be saved. That's what Paul is doing here. And this is a pattern of his ministry. This is what he does. He wants the integrity of his witness. More importantly, really getting into the meat of the passage, we see a pattern of his evangelism, which I have said and taught to you over the weeks. Paul has a pattern when he goes into these towns. He goes where to, what did he go to first? Synagogue, right, because it is part of his call. If you go back to Acts chapter 8, and I had to do this to make sure, because I think that I always just said that his ministry was to the Gentiles, point, period, the end. It's not. If you go to Acts chapter 8, and you see his commissioning as a prophet, as a, as a missionary, it's to the Gentiles and to the kings and children of Israel. It's to both. And so he goes to the synagogue first because he knows he is standing on all of the old prophecies that say that my people will know me and will respond to me. And that's what he's putting his whole faith on. I got to go to my Jewish brothers and sisters. I got to tell them who Jesus is and surely they will respond. And of course, what he's seeing is some do, but not all. And then has to figure that out, right? But he goes to the synagogue first because that's where he needs to go. And then when he preaches to the Jews and the, the ones that don't accept, they get all upset. And they go, get out of our synagogue. And he's like, well, fine, I'm leaving. And he takes his toys and he goes to the Gentiles and starts preaching to them. And then typically one of two things happen. Either he remains there to strengthen that new community, be it Jews, Gentiles, whatever, while opposition is happening, or... The opposition gets so fierce, he either gets persecuted or he packs up his toys and leaves town, right? That's been his habit. Can we all agree on that? That's kind of been the status quo. But what happens now is that he encounters this opposition and he looks at his Jewish brothers, sisters, whatever. He shakes off his garments and says, I'm at it. You know, blood is on your head. He's got a divine right to do that. If you were to jump to the Gospel of Matthew, don't do it, just listen. If you were to jump to the Gospel of Matthew, and I can show you where it's at, it's in chapter 10, <clears throat> and um, Jesus sends his disciples out. And remember, he tells his disciples, I don't know, he, he tells his disciples this, as you go into these towns, if you get to a town where they're not accepting you, and you've done everything that you can, and I'm paraphrasing here, you've done all the things that you can do, then there will come a time where you need to basically promptly 
dust off your feet and leave. And so as Paul's met this opposition, he's got a Christ right, a Jesus right to say to them, I'm done. I'm shaking off my garments. The blood's on your head. I'm out of here. And you would think, great, everything is fantastic. But the name of this sermon is Change It Up. And so Paul gets a change up to that habit. He's experiencing a plateau in his ministry of, I preach to the Jews, they don't like me, I leave, I go to the Gentiles, and then I leave again. And he gets a divine vision from the Lord to say, hmm, I got something else for you. The divine vision comes from Christ. It says, do not be afraid, which is a typical pattern of God. He says, continue speaking to Paul. Do not be silent. I am with you. And there are no attacks this time. Now, the rest of the passage, you see Paul kind of get hauled in to have to kind of defend himself. But there's no attacks. There's no harm coming to him in any way, shape, or form. And then Jesus says this in the vision to Paul. I have many in this city. There are more people here. I need you here. And I need you doing this. And trust me that I am with you. And it's a callback to what James said in Acts 15 where God is calling a people by his name. And Paul is now experiencing it. It's not going to be a quick escape this time, Paul. I need you to stay and remain and engage in this mission. It's funny that the divine visions that come to these apostles, and we've seen them before. Paul has had a divine vision before. Remember, he was supposed to go to Asia, and he gets a visitation. The, visit, the, the divine vision says that there's a man from Macedonia saying, no, come here. And remember, he was prohibited from going to Asia, and he goes to Europe. Peter has also had a vision, a vision as well, a little nudge from an angel. Remember, he was in a jail cell, and he was falling asleep, and he was like, I guess I'm going to die. And he kind of, in a great act of faith, was like, I'm giving it up to the Lord. But an angel comes and says, no, get up. This is not the time for you to die. You're going to leave out of there. And he also gets a vision to go see Claudius, a Gentile, because Peter was falling back into old Jewish ways and customs about cleanliness. And he gets a vision. No, no, no. Go to Claudius. Go there. Don't call him dirty. Don't do those things, right? These visions come to the apostles when they're a little off course or they're in danger of becoming stale and stagnant, right? They get a little nudge, a little boom, a little kind of gentle thing to course correct them and get them back on the what God will have them do. It reminds me a lot, I shared this story, it reminds me a lot of our son, Caleb, who was over here before. And Caleb received a Christmas present this year. It was one of those, a power wheel. Anyone, anyone know of power wheels? Anyone know? When I was young, when I was his age, all I wanted was a power wheel. That's all I wanted. You know, please, Lord, give me a power wheel. Dad, buy me a power wheel. My sisters, they wanted the Barbie power wheel when they were of age. They wanted, and we asked, and we begged, please give us a power wheel. Did we get a power wheel? No, we did not. And now my dad has the gall <laughs> to buy each and every grandchild their own power wheel. We've got two of those things in our garage and a third one on the way. We can't even park our own cars for the power wheels. <laughs> now remember, why am I telling this story? Nudges, course correction. So these power wheels, they've got a new advancement to them. Now, back in the, in the 80s, when I was growing up, you got in, you pressed the gas, and there be the go, go for you by the grace of God, you know? Don't turn into traffic. But this picture of him looking at me with this thumbs up, he's actually, in, I think, in forward motion, because that's how he drove it, like this. 
Never an impulse for this kid that he doesn't, you know, act on, right? But they gave us a little control. And the control is a parental control that allows you to just press a button and all of a sudden the Jeep goes boop and course corrects back to where, and you can kind of steer them without them really kind of understanding what's going on. So he's going this way, about to hit a tree, nope, and I course correct him and he goes this way and he's just having a great old time with that. That's what I think is happening with these divine visions. God up there with his little power wheel control saying, nope, and nudging and moving these apostles along and changing up their, possibly their ways and their journey to achieve the same goal, which is to share the good news of Christ, right? Paul, your habit of packing up your toys and leaving because the going is getting tough, that's not going to happen this time, says Christ. I need you to stay. There are more people here who are called by my name, and I need you to stay. So this vision that he gets is really a recommissioning of Paul's ministry. It's a reminder. And when we get a recommissioning here of, of a prophet, God is following the same patterns as he's done before. Isn't it great that the Lord will follow kind of the same methods so that we can really know and trust in his faithfulness, even though he may be changing up our routines? Paul gets a recommissioning of, of what it means to be a prophet. And when that happens, he is confronted, say confronted, and he's commissioned, and there's a conclusion to the whole thing. So what's the confrontation? It's the, it's the nudge. It's the vision from Christ. It's the poke to say, nope, you're not going to do that. I, you, you're going to stay here. And then the commissioning is, you're going to not be quiet. You're going to keep on talking. And there's always with the commissioning a divine promise and a promise of power, which is there are people here by my name and know that I am with you. He gets all of this all again to reorient and get him back on the track that Christ would have him do. And this is a plateau bust for Paul. He's not to rely on his old methods and procedures, but to trust that the Lord is with him in this new venture. There are still people in this town in Corinth that are called by my name. And when I looked at this passage, and I thought about that, and really kind of wrestle. I mean, because we kind of could end it here. Like, that sounds great. Great, good. You know, continue on and trust in the Lord, and, and that's fine. And I, like, how do we make it real? How, where have I seen this in our lives here at Bethel? And what I was reminded of was uh, the pandemic, actually. We all remember the pandemic. Some of us PTSD on that, being stuck in the house with only Disney Plus and three children and a power wheel. <laughs> but we got scattered. And then when we all came back in again, what we saw was a loosening of folks. Not everyone returned back. And it was an, uh, an eye-opening thing for me in the church in that, oh, we misunderstood what people's buy-in was and their sense of community here at the church, thinking that, that, that we had them when, when, we didn't, when we didn't. And then I thought about the church in general and that when COVID happened, I think God shook the pews of the church, capital C. I think he said to the church from on high, you have gotten too settled. You have gotten too comfortable in your pews. You've got too set in your ways. You've changed the mentality of here I am, send I, send me, Lord, to here's a check, send somebody else. And we've turned church into this consumeristic commodity that if it isn't you know, entertaining me, then I can pack up my toys and there's another church. I can go do that as well. 
And I think the Lord is saying to, to us all on high, don't blame the people. Blame how we've been doing ministry. Blame how we have been doing this as a church, that we've probably got too settled in our rut and routines, and we need to be shook up. Now, COVID was horrible, okay? I mean, people died from that. I don't make any light from that. But we can always use these things, and I think God is using these things to say to the church, it's time to change it up. It's time to get shaken out of our comfort zones here and to trust that there are many people here within the corner of Bethel and Reed, a mile radius all around. There are many people that are called by his name. Can we trust that, church? Can we trust in the Lord that there are people whom we've never bothered to even speak to or relate to that Jesus is calling by his name that are just waiting for us to exercise our God-given talents, talents that I believe the Lord has given you for this church, this ministry, and this corner to seek out the lost and share the word. It's not on us to change their hearts. That was Jen's uh, passage message yesterday, uh, yesterday, last Sunday, but just to be faithful. And, and you know what? And there's no age limit. Whether you are 25 or 75, you all have a gift and a talent and a skill for a time such as this. For a time such as this, may we not get so settled in our ruts and our routines that we don't have the ears to, to hear the Lord call or the feeling of the nudge, the course correction to say how we've been doing it may not be great. And there may be a better way to reach out to people and share the gospel of Christ. That's what I got out of this passage. And that's what I think Paul received as well. You're doing great, Paul. You're doing great. And you're, you're being obedient. My goodness, he's been stoned, he's been beaten, he's been jailed, and he keeps on keeping on. I mean, that's obedience. That's faith for sure. But even then, you can get stuck in a routine. And God said, no, 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 you're going to stay. And what does it say? The conclusion is that Paul remains there for a year and a half. It's one of the only times Luke says that. The other times it's he remains there for some time. But here in Corinth, he gives the, the time period because we think that this is one of the longest Pauline residencies that he did was here in Corinth because there were that many people and there was that much vibrancy in this city that God was reaping a harvest of souls and using Paul to be obedient, to continue to speak and not be quiet. Continue to speak, church. Don't be quiet right in the corners of your lives, whether that be your home and your neighborhood, your work, your office, your school, family, friends, brighten up the corner by sharing your love for Christ and don't be afraid and know that the Lord is with you. He's going to bless those things, even if that person says, no good, I'm good, thank you. That's fine. And you continue on and you continue to invest in love and you hope for the Spirit to do the harvest that is there. Where in your life have you seen a plateau recently in faith? In your prayers, in your worship, in the community here? Maybe God is saying, let's change it up. And what I, what I encourage you to do would be to find, and I can help, we can all can help find some deeper community here, a small group, a mentor, someone to meet with on a weekly basis attending a Bible study and, and, and trying to, to get just some deeper instruction more than what I can give you from up here. Uh, but, you know, you know, change up those habits or a mission project or a ministry project, something. 
Not to add more to the to-do list. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is to be engaged in the ministry and mission here. At the beginning of every worship service, I typically say I'm one of the pastors here and a fellow minister with each of you for the ministry and mission Christ has for the church. And we mean that. We are in this together. Let's get shook. Let's get rattled up. Let's change it up. Because there is a field out there that God has many people. And let's do this as a church, y'all. Let's do this. Let's share the love of Christ in such profound ways that people will know that he is the true son of God. Bow a knee to him and be saved. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you for, again, these messages that kind of give us a little kick. And may we respond to that. May we be responsive to your nudges, to your course corrections, to changing things up so we bust through a plateau, so that we don't give up and just continue to persevere, to lean in on your promises and trust that you are taking it all the way. I pray that for our church, for both the traditional and contemporary service, we are one church. And I pray that each and every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, never lose sight of the gifts and the mission that you have for us while we are still on this side of heaven. Embolden us, empower us to get you changed up. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing our final song together, everybody. This is Leaning. Oh, I'm leaning, leaning, safe and secure.
The more I'm leaning, the more I'm flying. Feels less like dying, but more like living for heaven on earth. The more I'm leaning, the more I'm flying. Feels less like dying, more like living for heaven on earth. The more I'm leaning. The more I'm flying, oh, feels less like dying. The more like living for heaven on earth. The more I'm leaning, the more I'm flying. Feels less like dying. The more like living for heaven on earth. For truth of today? Do you lean on the culture, the popular opinion? Or do you lean on the promises of God? The promises of God that stay unchangeable. They are true. They are yes and amen in Him. But He may course correct you once in a while so that we may share those eternal, unchanging promises with people who need it. With people who need to hear that He is their Lord and Savior find salvation in him. Go with that story. Share that with others. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great day, everybody.